Lord, we bless your name. You have done so much for us, first and foremost, in saving us through your Son, Jesus. You provide for us each day as our Heavenly Father, not only by offering us and giving us salvation through your Son, Jesus, but also by providing for us just the daily necessities and needs that we have, jobs and transportation and technology and food and clothing and all these things. You are so good and generous to us, and we thank you for that. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. You are to be feared above all other gods. You alone made the heavens and all that are in them. You alone reign as God, and you alone rule over the world with righteousness and justice and faithfulness. Holy Spirit, help me to speak your words, not mine. Open our hearts and minds and spirits to your word today by your Holy Spirit. Change us on the spot. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll skip the video. Let's uh, invite Arnell to come up, and he is going to read today's scripture. Arnell. Our scripture reading today is taken from the book of uh, Psalms, uh, chapter uh, 96, verses 1 to 13. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord, all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, being an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall, never be, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Our summer series is Summer in the Psalms, and what we're doing is going through about Psalm 90 to about 107. We're examining today Psalm 96 that Arnell read for us. The sermon title is simply God's Good Reign and Our Joy. And what I want to sort of prove to you is that there's a connection between God's good reign over the universe and our joy. These are inextricably connected. And when we see His good reign, it results and erupts in joy and gladness within. And in today's world, though, I want to talk about the reign and rule that we often see in the tangible world in which we live. And very often we see more of a democratic kind of rule than we see a monarchical kind of rule, all right? And Winston Churchill really identified that basically, actually, I'll just go to his quote right now, and here's what he said. I love Winston Churchill, by the way, very smart man and very quirky and very imperfect. But he said, many forms of government have been tried and will be tried in this world of sin 
and woe. No one pretends that democracy is perfect or all-wise. Indeed, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. I don't know if you caught that. But basically, Churchill's saying is that democracy in this sinful, broken, messed up world in which we live is basically the best we got. It's the lesser of the other evils uh, that exist in our sinful world at this point. But let me just now identify just how, um, how often disillusionment can set in when we try to pin our hopes on the, the, the de- democratic leaders that we might have. And let me just take you through uh, this journey historically in Canada and the United States briefly. And don't worry, this is not a political sermon, really. Uh, it's actually all about the, the political rule, the ultimate rule of God. Uh, but basically, here's a bit of a history lesson. And very often, we try to attach our hopes for utopia and good living and a good life with our democratic leader that we're trying to elect in. For example, in 2006, Stephen Harper came in and and he finally broke the the liberal rule, uh, which was in place for about 13 years, mostly under Jean Chrétien at that time. And the right-leaning conservative Canadians were all about Stephen Harper. He's going to kick out those, those liberals. We're going to stop spending so much money and get our house in order, economic house in order again. Finally, Canada can succeed under Harper. Well, sure enough, what happens? After nine years of Harper rule, everyone was sick and tired of Stephen Harper and the conservatives, and then they were setting their sights on someone else. You may know this person. His name is Justin Trudeau. He is our prime minister with great hair and he is the part of the Liberal Party, and the, the sense of that election and when Har- uh, Trudeau came in was that finally the good life is here under Trudeau. He is going to bring us joy-filled utopia here in Canada. Well, after just three years, as it turns out, three years in power under Trudeau, according to the polls, he is now behind the Conservatives, and Canadians are just not as happy, not as enthused about Trudeau as they once were just after the election. Now let's talk about America, because we've got to talk about America. <laughs> all right, remember Obama. Obama in 2008, his campaign was all about hope. It was very positive and very joyful. Uh, change you can believe in was his mantra. And the problem is, though, after he was in rule, democratic rule after eight years, how is America feeling about Obama. Well, actually, the majority were still probably in favor, but that's a whole other issue. America voted in someone else, and this someone else was all about MAGA. Make America great again. His name happens to be Donald S. Trump. And let me ask you, how is America now feeling about their decision? Well, the jury's out. It's so polarized, I won't even go there. But here's my point. As I mentioned, Democracy is sort of the lesser of the other evils when it comes to running a country. And amazingly, time and again, we Canadians and our American brothers and sisters to the south and nations around the world, we sort of pin our hopes on the next new democratic, democratically elected leader. But sure enough, what happens after just a short amount of time, our expectations are crushed. Our hopes for joy and utopia are gone disillusionment sets in and we're just like, what is the point? What is the point of these democracies? But there is one ultimate government that we can pin our hopes on who will bring in heaven on earth. There is one ultimate king who is currently ruling in the unseen world and who will rule over the universe forevermore. 
And he is ushering in and will usher in fully a kingdom of righteousness and justice and joyfulness and faithfulness and truth and hope. And this is the kind of rule and reign that disillusionment will never set in with this ultimate king and leader. And my point is, this person happens to be the Lord and God of the universe. And he is the one in whom you can confidently place all your hopes in for the future. In his reign and in his rule, you will see glimpses of in your life today, and you will see in the future when faith becomes sight, we finally see Jesus with our own eyes, and he will usher in full the new heavens and the new earth in which God's people will live in and experience gladness in and joy in forever. So that's coming. It's already here. We can't see it, but the fullness of it is coming, and it's going to be good, and our hopes will never be dashed under his reign and his rule if we're with Jesus. What this psalm is all about, it's all about giving us hope in God's good reign and his good kingship, and he will give us the ultimate and ongoing joy that we all need. All right, that's the introduction. I want to now give you an overview of this, a quick one, of Psalm 96. And as it turns out, this psalm, a lot of the psalms were sung by God's people as songs, as hymns, just like Danny and the team sung various songs and hymns today. This Psalm 96 was sung by God's people throughout church history and Israel's history as well. In fact, this psalm was sung by God's people in a Bible story that you can find in the Bible. First Chronicles chapter 16, verses 23 to, 23, 23 to 33 when King David was bringing the Ark of God that held within, within it, the Ten Commandments were within the Ark of God and some other things. Well, he was bringing in that Ark. He was dancing before the Ark. Okay, he loved to dance. Who loves to dance here? You can, this is good. You can dance before the Lord. It's biblical, just like David. I encourage, maybe not here. Well, anyhow, I won't go there. It's going to get out of hand. But anyhow, dance at home. Uh, but it's good to dance before the Lord like David did. And that's when they were singing Psalm 96. Isn't that cool? And, and this psalm, uh, it's, it's, it's all about uh, singing new songs, okay? Uh, singing songs of praise, but it also mentions singing new songs. We need new songs. Have you noticed in pop culture, we are not, like Elvis's greatest hits are still not at the top of the charts, Right? They're, they're classic ones, to be sure, but we're always coming up and desiring new songs to be singing in our co- wider culture, but also in our church life with God's people, we should be singing some new songs as well. So we as a church should be writing our own new songs that are based on Scripture, based on the Gospel, or taking from other sources biblical new songs from the wider church because it keeps things kind of fresh, all right? Reduces staleness, all right? God is honored when we sing new songs, and it gives us new joy when we sing these new fresh songs. Now, what I want you to notice in verses 2 and 3 here, uh, in addition to singing these new songs to the Lord that Psalm 96 talks about, the psalmist, he instructs you and I to not just sing these new songs, but also tell. Our job is to tell of the Lord's salvation day to day and declare his glory among the nations. Declare his marvelous works amongst all the peoples of the world. And that leads us to our first point in our notes, namely to do this, day after day. Day after day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so on. I want you to, and I want me, prayerfully keep telling others about the Lord's salvation 
and marvelous works that you've been a witness to, like Frank did. He was declaring the Lord's marvelous works in his own life. That's what we are to do Monday to Sunday, every day of our lives, as the opportunities are presented before us. For example, I want you to now think about, right now, I want you to think about what's some good news that you shared with someone else outside of, you know, Jesus and biblical things. What was some good information that you shared with someone else fairly recently? Maybe you, you, something you talked to your friends about, or you posted on your social media, your Facebook, your Twitter, whatever, or you talked to your coworkers about something really good in your life. All right, what did you bring up with them? Well, for me, if and when the Blue Jays, I'm a big Blue Jays fan, and they're actually on a two-game winning streak right now, which is really rare, but they're on a two-game winning streak, and I might talk to my neighbor, and very often I do talk to my neighbor. He's two doors down. He's a, a big Jays fan as well, and the Jays are on a winning streak, and we'll sort of celebrate. We'll, I'll brag about the Blue Jays in that moment. Or very often my daughter, Victoria, I don't think she's here, but she, in terms of her piano playing, she takes lessons every week, and I got to tell you, her piano playing is off the charts. Like, she is way, way further ahead than I ever got, and she actually enjoys playing piano, which I never did. I took piano for like 10 years, and it was like 10 years of punishment. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. But she actually enjoys it, and I love to brag about, that's good news I want to share with other people. She's like Liberace level when it comes to piano. And for you, maybe it's talking about your kids, how beautiful and smart your kids are. Or maybe you're, you're announcing to the world you're pregnant, or you got a new job, uh, or you're talking about your vacation, and your vacation and all, all the pictures are listed on your social media. My point is, we easily, we very easily like to share good things that happen to us that we experience in our lives, and we share that with those in and around us. And here's the thing, though. When it comes to Jesus the greatest person who has ever happened to us, the greatest person in the universe. And if it's good news to us that we've been saved by his saving action, he lived our perfect life for us, he died on the cross for all of our sins, he then rose from the grave three days later to save us, to earn salvation for us, so that our sins could be taken away, forgiven, so that we could have new heavens, new earth, and our future forevermore, being with God forevermore. If that's good news, we've been saved by his grace, we are being changed by Jesus, by his transforming grace each day, how can we not prayerfully keep telling others about the Lord's salvation, about his marvelous works that, like Frank did this morning, how can we not let the good news travel in our life? Here's a well-known verse about how followers of Jesus are to be on the ready. I want you to think about that phrase, on the ready. What does it mean to be on the ready? You're on the ready like a soldier is on the ready for war, even though it's not the greatest analogy. But you're on the ready to, to share what needs to be said about Jesus. And 1 Peter 3.15 says this, and this is a very well-known verse, but this is really good stuff. He teaches us, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet... Do it with gentleness and respect. And so this is what we pray. Holy Spirit, I need help to share the gospel. Holy Spirit, help me, help us to honor Jesus in our hearts. Help us to be prepared to share the gospel at any moment's notice. Holy Spirit, help us to be on the ready to give a winsome reason for the hope that we have in Jesus. 
to share the gospel with gentleness, with respect, not shoving the gospel down anyone's throat. That always backfires every time. All right, gentleness and respect, winsomeness. We actually want to persuade people in a positive way, right? Here's a common issue, though. Here's what often gets in the way of me sharing the gospel and you sharing the gospel, I think, as well. And it's something that we all have, I think, or most of us have, when it comes to sharing our faith, and the issue is fear. Fear of rejection, what will they think of me? They'll assume I'm just, you know, this, I don't know, going, this, this small-minded Christian, you know, traditionalist from way back when, and, and they'll think the worst of me, and there's this fear of rejection in our culture. They'll think I'm politically incorrect, you know? Uh, so that's very often a big issue is fear. A second issue is that for us, perhaps for you, the, the gospel, the story about Jesus may have become stale in your life, like stale bread. Nothing worse than stale bread, right? Although you can reuse it, but that's another story. The gospel for you possibly is stale. If, in a, if the gospel about Jesus is stale, are you going to share the gospel? You are not going to share the gospel. And I hope you don't if it's stale, because that's not going to be a winsome presentation of the gospel. And so here's what I want you and I to do when we come to sharing our faith and telling of the Lord's marvelous works in our lives. We must pray. We must pray. We must ask Jesus, make your, whole, your gospel, the, the news, the good news of all that you've done for me and for the world, may it never become stale for me. May it never become stale. We must pray that. Furthermore, we've got to pray for daily opportunities, daily open doors that we might go through with God's help and with his courage, and with his boldness, and with his winsomeness to share our faith about Jesus in winsome, in gentle, and in respectful ways. This is what we must do. And I got to say, if you actually pray this way, you will find opportunities to share the gospel. Some of you have done this. A lot of you have done this. Frank just did it this morning. He prayed for an opportunity to share the gospel, about he, how he as a dad shared the gospel with his son. And it came to be, and I've seen this in my own life, by the grace of God, the sheer grace of God, you ask for opportunities, you pray that the gospel never gets stale in your heart, and you ask for open doors that you might speak about Jesus winsomely, gently, and respectfully, and you pray this in faith, and it will happen. It's really cool. Let's move on to now look at verses 4 through 6. We looked initially at 1 to 3, but now 4 through 6. If you have Psalm 96 in front of you, it can help, okay? And verses 4 through 6 is all about the psalmist telling us that God is great. Greatest of all. Greater than all other so-called gods. God is greater than, than them all. In fact, he's the only God. And then the psalmist gets really blunt and sort of in our faces here. He says that all the so-called gods of the peoples are what? He calls these other so-called gods worthless without worth, without any value whatsoever. You see, these ancient so-called gods, uh, these ancient idols that the ancient peoples worshipped back in the day, they were made from created materials like wood, like gold, like silver. And the psalmist makes a valid logical point here that the one and only God of the Bible, he made the heavens. In other words, God made all the materials that these so-called gods are made out of. He made the wood, he made the gold, he made the silver. So how could they be gods? Why not worship the God that made all the materials that we're making our worthless gods out of? Is that not just logical? All right? 
He, that's why splendor and majesty and strength and beauty are before the Lord, according to Psalm 96. He alone is the Lord. He alone is great. He alone is God. And He alone exists as God. There's no other God than the God of the Bible. And that leads us to point number two in our notes, if you're following along. Simply, God alone is worthy to be praised. Does He receive your primary divine attention, your primary worship? Does He receive your primary worship? Let me explain this. The Bible makes it clear that if you want to experience ultimate joy and spiritual satisfaction, that you need to have your life centered around God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God has got to be at the center of your life. And that is the spiritual sweet spot, you see. And it's essential that Jesus is in that centered place, that he is your first love. All right? Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's how you experience ultimate joy and ultimate, ultimate spiritual satisfaction. But here's the problem. The human heart, according to John Calvin, and he's right about this, the human heart, even the, the Christian heart, because we have remaining sin in it, the human heart is an idol factory. It keeps wanting to pump out idols for you and I to worship in place of Jesus. And so that means it's sinfully always seeking, on the hunt, to worship something else in God's place. And part of what it is to be a Christian is to, on a daily basis, root out these idol-worshiping tendencies that exist in your heart and that exist in my heart. We need to ask Jesus, point them out in us, so that we can confess them, repent of them, to put you back on the center, on the throne of my life. Now, what is an idol, a modern idol for us? Now, a lot, most people in our modern world do not worship little figurines of, of little gods made out of wood, gold, and silver. But an idol, a modern idol is anything, anything that replaces God in your life. It can be your spouse. It can be your child. It can be your child's extracurricular activities. It can be your job. It can be your house. It can be your car, your leisure, your smartphone, your entertainment. It can be your fashion. It can be anything that is taking our attention off of Jesus, and instead that attention is on to these other things, those idols. And sadly, if you and I allow something to take and sit on Jesus' throne, on the throne of our hearts, this will lead to and result in you experiencing all kinds of very negative emotions. Deep unhappiness. Deep, dangerous anger. Depression. Anxiety of all kinds. Misery. Rage. Lust. And so on. Why do we experience these very negative emotions in our lives? We all do, but if these are controlling your life, that's another matter. Why are they controlling our lives with these negative emotions? Because you are not in the spiritual sweet spot of centering your life in and around the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone, who alone, who alone can give you the joy, the ultimate happiness the spiritual satisfaction that your soul craves. He's the one you need, the only one. So, in your notes, I'm just going to read through some of this. In order for you and I to spot idols in our lives and in our hearts, you need to, and here's the thing in your notes, you've got to follow the trail, okay? So remember, the, the, there was a song about who stole the cookies in the, out of the cookie jar? Who, me? Couldn't be. Must have been somebody else. But how do you find someone? How do you find the, the perpetrator the guy, the, the, the girl who stole the cookies out of the cookie jar. 
You follow the trail, the cookie crumbs, right? And if you follow the cookie crumbs, that will lead you to the thief who ate the cookies. And so it is with following the trail of your time, your money, and affection. You follow your time. Where does that trail go to? You follow where your money is going. You follow where your affections are going. And when there is an idol, you will, and let me quickly read through this list here, you will sacrifice for it. You will spend inordinate, inordinate amounts of time on it. You will spend inordinate amounts of money on it. Matthew 6.21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Talk, you will talk about it. Matthew 12.34 says, well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you've got to look at your speech. What are you sort of obsessed about in your speech? That could be an idol. What do you, you serve your idol. Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters. You protect your idol. You defend your idol. You think about your idol as a man thinks in his heart. So is he. You worry about your idol. You build your schedule around your idol. So your idol's like cramming other things out of your schedule and kind of pushing Jesus out of your schedule now. You want to perfect your idol. You get angry if someone or something blocks you from having access to your idol. You experience intense fear and anxiety if if it's threatened in any way in your life, if, if it's like about to be taken away, you're like, you're freaking out. And lastly, you spiral into despair and depression can be even suicidal if you fail to take hold of it, if you fail to achieve this thing. So I beg you, go home today. I think you're going to go home today at some point. Pray. Prayerfully go through this list. It's in your notes. Ask Jesus, examine my heart. Examine, show me what's really going on. Show me what I'm really wanting in my heart. Show me where my affections are going. Help me to follow that trail so that I can repent of those things, those God replacements, so that I can place you, Lord Jesus, back on the throne and you alone on the throne of my heart that you might give me the joy and the spiritual satisfaction that I need and that my soul craves. That was the second section. Let's move on to the last part of Psalm 96, verses 7 to 13. Here, in these verses, the psalmist is painting a really big picture view for us of what God is all about. He is saying to all the families on the earth, you know, when the Martians come, you know, the aliens from outer space, this doesn't happen, they're not real. But in the movies, when the Martians come, what do they say? People of earth, we're taking you over. Well, the psalmist is kind of saying, people of earth here. And he's not an alien, all right? He's someone who loves God. And he's saying, people of earth, all right? All the peoples on the planet, all nations, all ethnicities, worship God. People of earth worship God. See and recognize God's glory and God's strength and God's good judgment and God's good righteousness and God's faithfulness. Will you see, will you see how great and good he is? Interestingly, the psalmist is not only, he's not only calling all you know, people of earth to worship God here, he's also calling all creation to worship God as well. Did you notice that? Let the heavens and the skies worship God. Let the field the mere field and all the plants and animals in it worship God. Let the trees, a lot of us in this room, we probably like trees, let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. In other words, all nations and all creation are called by God to joyfully worship Him. And that leads us to point number three in our notes, simply this. 
Take joy and hope in the coming full and visual reign and rule of God over all nations and peoples. Take joy in that. There's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot to look forward to. There is much to be joyful about. There's much to be optimistic about. And Psalm 96, what this is, it's a forward look. It's like a sneak preview of what the full and final reign and rule of God looks like. When, as the Bible says, faith becomes sight, we can see God with our own eyes. We can see his greatness with our own eyes. Nothing's shrouded, nothing's, nothing's hidden anymore in that moment when Jesus returns. And we get to see Jesus in all his glory. Revelation, here's a little sneak pre- preview of the future that the Bible gives us in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. And i got to say, I love this view. And here's what it says. After this, this is John, the apostle, who, who wrote, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I mean, this is a beautiful picture of heaven. It's a very multicultural picture of heaven. God's people from all languages, all nations, what are they wearing? They are wearing white robes, which symbolize what? All of their sins have been taken away because of what Jesus did for them on the cross. They're now clean before God, wearing white robes, white and washed clean. So nothing from their past can condemn them any longer. They've been washed by Jesus. Now they're crying out in worship to God. And you see, this is the mission of the church. Your job as a Christian, my job as a Christian, is to be used by Jesus and the Holy Spirit to draw more people to worship God, to be a part of that great multitude. You know, our church, isn't this a beautiful church? where we have many different nations. Last time I, I counted, there was about 13 different nations that are in our church. And we're not a huge church. Isn't that cool, though? And sometimes the multicultural aspect can be a challenge, but it's a beautiful challenge. It's a good thing. And this is a bit of a sneak preview of what that multitude in the end will look like, that we can take joy in and celebrate with Jesus so our mission is to invite more and more and more people to meet Jesus and to become a worshiper of Jesus, to be a part of that ultimate end multitude at the end of time. Here's a great quote from the Vine Project uh, that speaks about this mission for us. It says, this is why we want to make more and more disciples of Jesus Christ, because God's goal for the whole world and for the whole of human history is to glorify his beloved son in the midst of the people he has rescued and transformed. I don't know if that, did that diagram show up, Bruce? I don't know if it uh, showed up, but this is going to be, there it is, okay? So just to make it really clear, our job is to be used by Jesus to speak the gospel, rescue people out of the domain of darkness, where nothing good results, into the kingdom of light as they turn to Jesus, place their faith in what Christ has done for them, so that in the end, they gather together with all of God's people, and they're gathered around who? Worshiping the risen Christ. That's it in a nutshell. And that place on the right is the best possible place for you and for me forevermore. Who doesn't want to be there? You'd be crazy not to want to be there. This is a place where there's no more tears, no more disease, no more cancer, no more suffering, 
Joy abounds, gladness abounds, there's no more pain, there's no more chronic pain. You know, I look at the world today, maybe you've, you know, I've sort of signed off on watching the news because it's rather depressing, and that may or may not be a wise decision, but I, I don't like to watch the news because it's very depressing. There's a lot to be discouraged by. Suicide, did you know, although these things can be difficult to actually track, but suicide, they're saying, has spiked in North America over the last two years. And recently, you may be aware of Anthony Bourdain and, and Kate Spade. They chose to do away with themselves and take their own lives, all right? And that's because they're very, very unhappy. And perhaps the reason that there's so much unhappiness and there's increased amount of, uh, perhaps the reason that suicides are spiking again, maybe it's because the ugliness of the world is really hitting home for a lot of people. Families breaking up, marriages breaking up, social media fueling everything negative. There's not much positive stuff on social media, which, you know, I just encourage you, use your social media for positivity, you know? Use your Facebook for positive things, for good things. But anyhow, that's another sermon for another day. But social media is, is just fueling the hatred, fueling the narcissism in our world. Then you look at our sort of our political situation in Canada and the U.S. and the economy in B.C. is kind of sputtering and stalling and we don't, we're not sure what's going on and there's political struggles and then the high cost of living in the lower mainland is just nuts and that can be depressing in and of itself. You know, and I know for myself, beyond all this, I know for myself, since late November, I have to be careful because I don't want to, I could really easily talk about me and my pain all day long. I, I find I've got a lot of passion in, in, in whining. Um, but, you know, I've had some health issues over the last little while. And, uh, again, I don't want to sound like a whiny baby, but um, honestly, I'll just tell you the, the honest truth. Uh, so take or leave this. Honestly, the quality of life has gone down several degrees. I cannot be as active of a dad as I can for my kids. Um, and, you know, it, it's, just, it's just annoying. Quality of life has gone down a few, few notches. And, uh, honestly, it's been, been dark and discouraging at times. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Psalm 96 is designed to remind you and to remind me of the Lord's big picture. Keep the big picture in view. When faith down the road will become sight, you'll see Jesus with your own eyes. No more mystery at all. And in the end, he will gather all his kids together, all his children from across the world to be with him and to live with him and to enjoy life with him in a perfect place, a place absent of darkness, a place absent of pain, a place absent of political nonsense, a place absent of hard times, a place absent of social media ugliness. And as I finally close this message and come in for a landing, as Frank mentioned, I just want, I want you, I want me to be encouraged that despite how dark things are in our world and in your own life, it's going to get better. There's hope for tomorrow in Jesus. There's reason for joy and gladness in Jesus today because there's going to be a lot more joy and gladness, gladness in Jesus tomorrow. There is much reason to worship Christ. So let me just say point number three one last time, simply this. Take joy and hope in the coming full and visual reign of God over all nations and peoples. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this great hope that we have. Help us not to get discouraged. Keep us away from just drilling down on all the negative things in our lives, the hard times, the pain, whatever it is that we're facing. 
And would you help us keep our hope in you to remind ourselves of your good and great reign over all things and that someday faith will become sight and we will gather together as your children to worship your great name and live in the new heavens and the new earth forevermore. Lord, I pray that if anyone here who, who is not yet a Christian, that they want that, they want all that you offer, that they would not delay in taking that first, first step of repentance and faith today and baptism at some point in the near future to become a follower of Jesus and to receive forgiveness of sins and receive this new hope that you offer to us in Christ. I pray that this person or people would come talk to me or talk to somebody today about that decision. In Christ's name, amen.